Well, amen. That song has some tremendous words, some great words to that song. Yeah, per- particularly this time of year as we're getting ready for Easter, for uh, Resurrection Sunday. Hope that you all plan on being here on Sunday. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians uh, tonight. We're starting a new series and uh, hope that you got a study sheet. If you if you did not, we have some in the back. Does, uh, did everyone get one? If not, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. So we have one up here. Thanks, Chris. We're going to be in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse number 19. So Ephesians chapter 2, and beginning in verse number 19, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19, once you uh, find it, let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 19. The Word of God says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed uh, together groweth unto the holy temple in the Lord." in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we're going to go ahead and stop right there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, as we come up to this very special holiday, holiday, Lord, or perhaps we should say holy day. Father, a day when we pause and recognize and be thankful for what you have done for us. Lord, we are so grateful for the death of our Savior, for the fact that, Lord God, our Savior died in our stead, that you became flesh and dwelt among us, and not just to dwell among us, but to minister, and Father, to die, to be the sacrifice. Lord, we're thankful for the resurrection, and we're thankful for what that means. We're thankful for salvation that is offered to whosoever will. And Lord God, I pray now that you would just be with us as we begin this new study on Wednesday nights. Father, we pray that you'd be in it. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would lead, guide, and direct as we consider, Father, just these basic things, but Lord God, things that we need to be reminded of. And we do thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. You know, there's much conversation in our world today regarding significant issues such as the origin of life, the existence of God, about the reliability of the Bible, and many other topics. And the conflicting ideas surrounding these topics can easily cause confusion in the hearts and minds of those who are seeking the truth. One thing that immediately becomes clear in discussions over significant topics is that the worldview or paradigm which, with, uh, which one approaches these issues shapes how we look at these things. Um, it's kind of like wearing glasses. Uh, we've all heard the term. Uh, he sees through uh, rosy glasses. And, of course, I can remember when I was a kid that uh, 3D movies were uh, come, making a comeback uh, from the time that they had first come out and they were making a comeback and they were actually uh, being able to show them on on television and you'd have to get those special glasses that would help you to see things in 3D and if you took the glasses off it was just it was blurry Uh, you couldn't really see what it was at all but you put those weird glasses on they were one color on one side and one color on the other side And uh, obviously, it wasn't what the technology is today, but at the time, it seemed pretty incredible. It looked like things were coming out of the television, but you had to be wearing the right glasses. Otherwise, it was just a blurry screen. Everyone who needs glasses or contacts understands the difference between their vision when wearing corrective lenses or not wearing them. If your vision is blurry or distorted, when you put glasses on, everything looks different. It looks clear. Um, I can remember my, when my dad first got his. He didn't realize he needed them. 
until he put them on and realized, well, I can actually see things clearly. I see definition. And, you know, you get to a point where you just think that everything's supposed to be that way until you put glasses on and then you realize, wow, I can really see clearly now. That's what the Bible does to us. When you come to know Christ as your personal Savior, and then God begins to work in your life and starts to point things out, you wonder, how come, why is it that not everyone can see this? It just seems so clear. It seems so plain. Well, that is because you're looking at things through the Bible. And this is why it's important that we as Christians develop a biblical worldview. And so we're going to be talking about the cornerstone of life, the cornerstone of life. One way we can understand the importance of a biblical worldview is think in terms of a foundation, you know, and and specifically the cornerstone of that foundation. In New Testament times, you'll hear this term a lot, the cornerstone, actually not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. But in New Testament times, the cornerstone was the foundation stone that was laid first and then the rest of the foundation was, was rested or would rest upon that one uh, cornerstone. The cornerstone was the biggest stone. It was unmovable once it was set in place. And if you had a good cornerstone, then the rest of the foundation would also be good. When Jesus is your cornerstone, then life fits together the way that God intended for it to be. And so when we make Jesus our priority, we make Jesus number one in our lives. When we build the rest of our life upon Jesus and upon uh, upon him being the cornerstone and everything else rests on him, then everything fits together in your life. That's why the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's to be your cornerstone. That's to be your foundation. And then all these things shall be added. In other words, you have a great foundation and then you can build the building on the rest of it and the building's not going to come crumbling down. When you consider the various topics that we're going to look at throughout this uh, uh, series, topics such as the presence of evil, social justice, the role of marriage, the significance of gender, and I know these things seem... They seem so basic to us, but what's amazing is they're not basic to the world. The world is grappling over these things. The world is confused about these things. But you'll see them differently than the world does when you begin with the foundational truths of God's Word. And you look through the lens or the glasses known as the Word of God. For instance, the Bible tells us the following is true. The Bible says that you and I are made in the image of God. But that says a lot right there. It says that God has stamped his awareness on your conscience. And, of course, we know that, that you're born with a God uh, conscience. You have a purpose because you were made by a divine designer. We're not just an accident of evolution. You know, it's no wonder if that is your foundation, it's no wonder that that depression and even suicide seems like the right way to go because we're just an accident. We have no purpose, but the Bible says we're not an accident, that God, God created us on purpose and he created us with a purpose. These statements are, they're foundational to how the world views life. But God's word gives a clear worldview. I want you to notice a contrast from the, um, from the graphic, graphic up on the screen. I want to look at each one of these terms. God's view divines the purpose of man as bringing glory to God. That's a, that, God's word says that that is to be our purpose. And the Bible says that that's what we were created for. The book of Revelation tells us that we are created for his glory for his pleasure. However, secularism says we exist to glorify ourselves. And we are to lift ourselves up, to puff ourselves up. Now we know what happens when we do that. Then we're headed for a fall. And again, it's no wonder that the foundation that the world sets for us, it's not only shaky, but it's non-existent. 
Also, God, who is holy, desires his people to live holy lives. But the world says happiness must be our one goal in life. In other words, you only live once. If it feels good, then do it. Also, God tells us that he has given us absolute truth in the pages of his word. I am so thankful for absolute truth. Boy, we hear this term more and more. You live your truth. But then that just breeds more confusion. There is absolute truth according to the word of God. However, secularism says that everything is relative and claims that truth is based on each individual's preferences, upbringing, or opinion. And don't let anyone, uh, don't let anyone else contrast with your opinion or with your feelings. God tells us that our emotions are a byproduct of our beliefs and our actions. Uh, however, we know that secularism tells us that emotions are above all, even if that means disobeying God to satisfy our desires. The Bible teaches that all of us are sinners and responsible before God for our sin. And the world tells us everything bad in our lives is someone else's fault, if it's really bad at all. And that goes all the way back to the beginning. The Bible teaches that all of us are sinners and responsible before God for our sin. The world tells us that everything bad in our lives is someone else's fault. God tells us that we need forgiveness. Thus, we need Jesus as our Savior. And, of course, that's why Jesus died on the cross. He died in our place. He paid for our sins because the wages of sin is death. But the world tells us man's good enough and needs no forgiveness. The Bible teaches us to acknowledge our sin to turn back to God. It's called repentance. The world teaches us to tolerate any practice of ours or others, whether or not God calls it sinful, if there is a God. So the worldview that is set forth by, the, uh, by secularism takes God out of history, denies his absolutes, denies his truth, and denies his overall uh, insistence that, uh, that God knows better than man. Instead, man knows better than God, if God even exists at all. So it's not just the secular world that embraces a secular worldview. Some churches, perhaps trying to be more relatable to our culture, they fail to declare the absolutes, and we're going to look at some of this in a little bit. Interestingly enough, the more that churches emphasize relativism, the more people flee Christianity. And you will see this. You'll, churches make this claim all the time that we need to be relevant, and therefore our messages need to be relevant. But the question then becomes relevant to who and relevant to what? Uh, a study... Uh, by Johnson, Hogue, and Ludens tracked the decline of mainline denominations. As a matter of fact, I think you'll, you'll see it there. Their specific research on the Presbyterian Church USA led to the conclusion that the primary reason for the decline was the laity's lack of conviction as that Jesus alone is the means of salvation. In other words, there's other ways we want to remain relative any theological departure from the centrality of jesus christ it's always going to be catastrophic remember jesus is the cornerstone and everything else needs to rest on him and so if jesus is not the absolute authority then why are people going to stay in churches what is the point then all that does is point to secularism being right and, and, and God being wrong. So how can we avoid the slide of relativism? Well, one way, build on the rock of Jesus Christ, and then you're going to stand. Relativism is just another storm. Secularism is just another storm. Progressivism is just another storm. But if Jesus is our rock, then regardless of the storm... 
we are going to stand. So in these turbulent days, as our world turns its back on Christianity, it's more important than ever that we understand and embrace a biblical worldview. Christians need to get more into the Bible and, and well, know their Bible, live the Bible, even though the further the world gets away from God and the more the world turns towards secularism, particularly in our own society here, uh, the, the weirder, I guess, we are going to seem when we make God our foundation. The decline of Christianity, according to Albert Muller, the decline of, Christ, uh, the Christ, of Christian identity is particularly pronounced among younger Americans. And fully one-third of those aged 35 and younger report no religious affiliation at all. For many people, even professing Christians, Jesus is simply a convenience. You've heard me say this, that to too many Christians, Jesus is an accessory. Rather than Jesus being my life, Jesus being my foundation, being Jesus, Jesus being my one and only priority, we just kind of add Jesus as an accessory. Kind of like we make something else the foundation, but Jesus looks good on us, so we'll, we'll make him the paint. But again, if the, it, Jesus needs to be the foundation. If he's not, then that house is going to fall. If Jesus is not your cornerstone, your life is going to crumble. The Bible tells us in our text for today's, uh, tonight's study that when Jesus is our cornerstone, then our life is going to be steadfast. Well, I already read our text in Ephesians chapter 2, but I want us to look at three aspects tonight of Christ as our cornerstone. Three aspects of Christ as our cornerstone. Number one, we want to look at the reliability the reliability of the cornerstone. And let me get to uh, the place that we need to be here. The reliability of the cornerstone. So now cornerstone is the first piece of any structure. It needs to be carefully set so that everything else can be laid against it. Just like our illustration showed us there. If the cornerstone isn't located properly... If it's not the right cornerstone, then everything measured from its location is going to be in the wrong place. That's why he's got to be first. You can't have something else first and him second. Or you can't make God a priority and make it equal with everything else. He's the cornerstone. Everything else rests against him. Everything else needs to be uh, reliant upon him. So for this reason, the cornerstone, it's costly. It's important. We see an example of this in the building of the Old Testament temple. In 1 Kings chapter 5, verse number 17, I believe it's in your study sheet there. The Bible says, And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones, to lay the foundation of the house. So why must the cornerstone be reliable? First of all, it's, it's for identity, for identity. And man, I, I am uh, getting off here. It's, let me back up because I think things got messed up there. It's for identity. Listen, the size and the quality of the stone establishes the identity of the structure that is about to be built. The cornerstone represents the starting place. For the reason it is uh, sometimes called the foundation stone, it's a piece of the building that's essential to the integrity of the entire building. Once again, remember, if you don't have a foundation, it doesn't matter how nice the house looks, it doesn't matter how much money you put into that house, if you haven't put the work into the foundation, the house is essentially worthless. That's our life. You know, we spend so much time in other, other areas of our life. We spend a, a lot of time trying to get good at our sports. We spend a lot of time in our secular studies. And then once again, there's nothing wrong with studying. There's nothing wrong with being scholarly. There's nothing, long, nothing wrong with academics. And there's nothing wrong with sports. 
The thing is, is when they become the priority and they start taking the place of God, and I have seen this. I, I, I've been in the I've been in the ministry now for thirty years. I grew up in church, and I've seen this since I was a kid growing up in church. How that kids will get good at a sport, and all of a sudden. It's easy for mom and dad to start compromising for that sport. And then pretty soon that sport becomes the foundation of that kid's life. And I have seen way too many times those kids ruined spiritually because, well, that sport. And I've watched kids. I have watched kids that were good enough at sports that that sport got them a, a scholarship in college, and, and then mom and dad seemed to justify it. Well, see, all that, all of that time and all of that money and all that investment, look, it's getting them a great education, but they're bankrupt spiritually. More times than not, they end up not, end up not in church at all. Many times they get in trouble while they're in college, and it's because... The foundation was the wrong foundation. And hey, you know me, I love sports. I like, uh, not as much as I used to, just because uh, a lot of the politics that have gone on in sports, but I used to just, I used to be a sport fanatic. Um, I was talking to uh, Peter the other day about how much I used to love basketball. I used to try to get on a basketball court at least three to five times a week just because I loved to play. Uh, so it's not that I'm anti-sport. I'm just anti-sport becoming God because God needs to be our God. I'm not anti-academics, but I've watched the parents do the same thing with their kids academically. Wow, this kid is so so smart. We just We can't waste his abilities. And so they're enrolled in every program and they're enrolled in in every academic activity, but it's taken away from church. And then that becomes the foundation. I had a friend who was, was, uh, was uh, so smart and then got into the academics and then through that became an atheist, completely turned from God because that became foundational. That became the cornerstone in his life. And the reason was because mom and dad pushed it. Oh, man, you've got to study. You've got to do well. You've got to go to this class. You've got to have these, uh, uh, be in these AP classes. And, and once again, I'm all for academics. But when something else, regardless of how innocent that thing may be, no matter how good that thing may be, if it becomes the cornerstone, then the spiritual life is going to fall apart. And then what happens next? The next thing you know, you have uh, uh, kids marrying and then divorcing and things of that nature. I, I have seen it over and over and over again. It's, it, it's like a, a train wreck that continues to happen time and time and time again. And you can see it begin to happen. And oftentimes it starts innocently, you know, a, a misservice here, a misservice there. But pretty soon that thing becomes the cornerstone and God's just an accessory. Oh, preacher, he still, he still loves the Lord. Yeah, but if the Lord's not the priority, then there's a problem. If the Lord's not the, the, the main investment in, in his or her life, then there's a problem. And of course, then we grow up and we take that into adulthood and the job becomes the cornerstone. Finances become the cornerstone or, or whatever else. Cornerstones are carefully selected. They're accurately cut and precisely placed in order to build a structure. All measurements are taken from the cornerstone. The more elaborate the structure, the costlier the cornerstone. And it, it gives us the identity factor of that structure. The cornerstone of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ, which is why in Antioch, the Bible says, is where they were first called Christians. They had the right cornerstone. 
and that, that gave them their identity. The foundational truth of Christianity is that Jesus is God in the flesh, who died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead. Christ's atonement for us is the only hope for sinners and is the rock on which our hope is built. Those of us who've accepted Christ as our Savior, we've put everything into that. We have staked our death on that fact that Jesus died, was buried, and that he rose again. And that he was God in the flesh. The church is a building fitly joined together with Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone holding all of us together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 9. We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And so that's what we are. Jesus Christ needs to be the cornerstone of every church. Not entertainment and, and not the rock band and not, uh, and not the programs. Jesus needs to be the cornerstone of every church. The one person that the church cannot exist without. The standard by which everything is measured. For we find our identity in him. So why the cornerstone? Why, why, why is it so important? First of all, for identity. Now I'm going to uh, move up here. Second, uh, secondly, for the unity. For unity. You know, with Jesus as the cornerstone of the church... Christians are the other stones that build the spiritual house of the church. We are the church, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. But the people are the church. We are the building. We're talking about building a building out there. The building is just a structure to house the church. You know, we could meet on a piece of land without a building, and it's still a church. We could be meeting in somebody's apartment, but if we are assembled together and Jesus is the chief cornerstone, it's still a church. With Jesus as the cornerstone of the church, Christians are the other stones. The Bible tells us that we are fitly framed together. Ephesians 2.21 says, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. That's what every church is supposed to be. We are fitly framed together, which means that God has put the members into the church, and we, uh, it ought to be God who takes the members out. We're fitly framed together. Parts of, parts of a building go as exactly to fit together. It speaks of the unity we are to have in, in Christ when he is the chief cornerstone, not only do we have an identity, but we have unity because everything rests on him. Everything relies on him. To be unified as a single spiritual house, we need to fit together in correct relation to each other and to Christ. Part of the, uh, the connection is the shared doctrinal unity we have through God's word. And when we all believe the same thing, then there's going to be unity. As we read in the book of uh, Corinthians, when we all say the same thing, then there is unity. Which, by the way, I think there needs to be one Bible in the church, not multiple Bibles. And, of course, Quarter Baptist Church, it's the King James Version of the Bible. And so, the, for the sake of unity... 1 Peter 2 tells us that it is our belief in Christ that connects us to him as our cornerstone in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. Ye also as lively stones. So uh, now that we know what that cornerstone looks like, we can, we can picture this verse here as it comes together. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men. So he's the cornerstone rejected by men, 
but he's the he is the cornerstone uh, chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. So believing on him, when we view that cornerstone, does not just mean we believe that we believe in Jesus Christ. It means that we we are leaning on him. We're resting on him. We're trusting in him. Our faith is in him. He is the chief cornerstone. So just as bricks and mortar are precisely placed around the cornerstone of a building, so our lives must be permanently bonded to Jesus Christ through salvation and kept in a precise relationship with him. You know, additionally, when we are rightly connected to Christ as our cornerstone, we'll also be rightly connected to other Christians in our church family because we are jointly fit together. Jesus being the chief cornerstone and us resting on that foundation. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 15, we read, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. And so we, we can see the unity there. And, and it's all based on Jesus Christ, our reliance on Jesus Christ, and of course what we know about Jesus Christ. So in our giving, our singing, our paying attention to the Word of God, we as a spiritual house are offering up sacrifices to Jesus Christ. Those are our offerings along with obviously our, uh, our, our tithes and, and, and our other offerings. Uh, that is what brings us together with the common identity, with the unity as we rely on him. But not only for unity, but also the reliability of the cornerstone for direction. For direction, capital C there. For direction. My, and if ever it was obvious, we need direction. It's today. My, do we need direction. And as we mentioned, uh, or as was mentioned a moment ago, the cornerstone was the one against which the other stones were set. If the cornerstone was crooked, the angles of construction for the rest of the building was was going to be crooked. So with Christ as the church's cornerstone, we can be sure that the direction is set properly. It's going the right way. The measurements are going to come out the way that they are supposed to come out. What is important then is for the church to follow the pattern that has been laid in Scripture and that its direction comes from Christ alone. And you've heard me say that over and over and over again, that when when, when the, we are resting against the cornerstone the way we ought to, everything else is going to come together. G. Campbell Morgan said that the church of God, apart from the person of Jesus Christ, is a useless structure. You know, it's just another gathering. You know, there's lots of clubs. If you want to join a club, go join a club. But if you want Jesus to be the head of your club, uh, then then join a church and join a Bible-believing church, a Bible-preaching church. Our cornerstone is reliable, and we can be sure that when we trust Christ as our Savior, we have a sure foundation, and that's just the beginning. And we can be sure that when we align our views uh, to, uh, to settled truth, when we, rely our, uh, when we line up with this cornerstone as revealed in the Word of God, 
then we have a sure foundation. And a sure foundation means a reliable foundation. One that's going to stand through all the storms. You know, um, we need this today more than ever. Because there's so much confusion out there. Uh, even among churches that have kind of drifted a bit from the chief cornerstone. And so as we consider the reliability of the cornerstone, let's move on to the next thing about the revelation of the cornerstone. The revelation of the cornerstone. Our text reveals specifics about Jesus as our cornerstone and about the foundation surrounding the cornerstone. They're in the book of um, of uh, Ephesians. There's the uh, the identity of the foundation. Every construction worker, every construction worker knows that a building without a strong foundation is useless and is eventually going to fall. That's why so much goes into it, uh, and and why there's so much measuring that goes into it and so much importance that goes into it. If you're building on certain kinds of land, maybe you've got to um, uh, put, put rocks on it so your foundation will be sure. As Christians, if we build our lives on anything but the foundation given to us by God, then our lives are going to crumble. And boy, the further that America gets away from biblical principles, the more we see lives crumbling. And the more we see marriages falling apart, the more that we see individuals just grasping for something to believe in, which is why they turn to some crazy things. It's hard to blame them when we've taken God completely out of society. It's no wonder that they're going to turn. We've got a huge drug epidemic in, in our country. And it's because people are missing that that cornerstone. They're missing that foundation. People turning to, to, uh, to strange things. When Christ built the New Testament church, he chose to use the apostles and prophets as the foundation. Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse number 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets... Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the prophets obviously refers to the Old Testament prophets, and the apostles refer to the disciples of Christ. Of course, minus Judas, of course. (laughs) But God used both of these groups of men to give us the foundational truths of the Word of God. Remember the church in, in Jerusalem. The Bible says that they continued steadfastly on what? The apostles' doctrine. So Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, and so you've got the apostles leaning this way, the prophets going this way, and the foundation being set, but everything relies on Jesus. Everything rests on Jesus. And, and so the prophets pointed to Jesus. The disciples taught and wrote about Jesus. The church is built upon the prophets and the apostles because they are the ones who were used by God to reveal the doctrines to us through the word of God. Acts 2.42, I just quoted it to you. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The doctrines which they taught are the basis on which the church rests. God knew that his church would be adrift and in ruins without clearly revealed truth. And I'm so glad Jesus didn't just come, start a church, and say, go at it. He gave the church direction. He gave the church polity. He gave the church doctrine and teaching. So... He set the foundation for our lives through his word. And without it, the church has no reason to exist, no purpose to live for, and no vision to discern truth from error. 
So the mighty works of God in the early church came as a result of being built on the right foundation, the one foundation given by God. By the way, churches still do mighty works when Jesus is the chief cornerstone, when he is the head of that church. Which brings us to the identity of the cornerstone then. We already saw that Jesus is the only cornerstone for the church. There's only one. There can't be any other. What was amazing for first century believers was that Jesus' role as the cornerstone had been foretold by Old Testament prophets. Even though the church itself was a mystery, there's, there's parts that we can see foretold. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Psalm 118, 21 through 22, the psalmist writes, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. And so the man refused and even set Jesus out and crucified him. But as a church, we rely on him. We lean on him. We put our trust and our faith in him. Jesus, the virgin-born yet eternal Son of God, was ordained by God to be the cornerstone. He was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Jesus himself validated this in a conversation with the Pharisees. Matthew 21, verse 42. Jesus saith unto him, or unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures... The stone which the builders rejected. By the way, he's talking to the builders, the Pharisees. They rejected him. The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. These words of Jesus, they angered the Pharisees, incited them to seek for a way to kill Jesus because they understood he was identifying himself as the Messiah. I'm amazed that there are still so-called Christian groups who claim Jesus never uh, said he was the Messiah. He never claimed to be the Messiah. The Pharisees knew what he was claiming. The Jews knew what he was claiming, which is why on more than one occasion they took up stones to stone him because of who he claimed to be. Although the Pharisees rejected Christ... Those of us who have received him as our Savior believe he is precious. And we have our lives built on a sure foundation. And if you've been saved for any amount of time, you've tried this foundation. You've tried it over and over and over again. And you've learned one thing. As hardships come, and as we allow ourselves to worry when we ought not, we come out on the other side... And it is confirmed, this is the true foundation. This is an unbreakable foundation. This is a sure foundation. And so Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Then we need to look at the rejection. The rejection of the cornerstone. Number three, the rejection of the cornerstone. It goes without saying the world hates Christianity, especially the Christ of Christianity. Because the Christian faith allows for no other way to God apart from Jesus Christ alone. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches absolute truth, and the world absolutely hates absolute truth. Though it pains us to see Jesus rejected and mocked in today's culture, and a lot of times it pains us because they also reject and mock us, it's nothing new. As a matter of fact, Jesus was rejected in history. He was rejected in history. He's been rejected all throughout history. Think of the days of Noah. We think that we feel alone today. Noah was it. Him and his family. 
his wife, his sons, and his daughters-in-law. And by the way, that goes to show that if you're looking for a spouse, you don't have to compromise. In a world where no one believed in God, God still provided wives for Noah's sons. And many times people will settle. Christians will settle. Christian young people will settle. Because, well, you know, um, there's just, it's just the world we live in. Our church is small. Our movement is small. Hey, listen, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They don't have to compromise. They don't have to settle. And I can imagine that Noah and his wife sat down with their sons and had this talk numerous times. And their sons would come to them and say, but who is there? I mean, Dad, nobody believes this anymore. And it was true. No one believed in God. No one trusted in God. There was none righteous upon the earth except Noah, his wife, and his sons. Imagine how odd they must have seemed. You know, our kids sometimes will come to us. Well, nobody nobody believes this, and nobody acts like this, and nobody lives like this anymore. And... You can choose the topic, whether it's moral purity. Hey, nobody believes in moral purity anymore. Well, God does. Hey, Dad, no one calls it fornication anymore. Well, guess what? God does. No one calls it sin anymore. Well, God does. And I can imagine that Noah... And his wife had to sit down and have this conversation with with their boys and say, listen, you don't need to date people who don't believe in God. But, Dad, nobody believes in God. Oh, be patient. Wait upon the Lord. uh, That's one part of that story that has always impressed me. The fact that in this world where no one trusted God, no one believed in God, God still had wives for Noah's sons. And I think it's a lesson that we can bank on. First of all, it's part of our foundation, is it not? And so there we have Noah in the, in the days of Noah. Noah when the whole earth except Noah's wife's sons and then later his daughters-in-law scoffed at the preaching of Noah. Think of the Israelites through the centuries who rejected the messages of the prophets and the prophets stood by themselves. Consider the Jewish nation in the first century who saw Jesus in the flesh and still looked for some other savior and are still today looking for another savior. Peter addressed this rejection before the high priest and his fellow religious leaders after they had arrested Peter and John on the sole grounds of their preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. And of course, remember, they were told not to preach in his name anymore. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 10, Peter said this, Be it known unto you all, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That was, of course, right after the man was healed right outside the temple there. And Peter and John were in a whole lot of trouble because of it. And then Peter just pointed out that you took the chief cornerstone, you builders, you rejected him. But there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Hey, Jesus was rejected in history. He's always been rejected by secularism. In the time period that the world that that would uh, seem the most likely of all for people to embrace Jesus and His truth, 
The whole religious system of the Jews blatantly rejected him. You know, Isaiah says, or I'm sorry, John says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Though they had been physically in his presence, they watched his miracles. They refused him, and they rejected his truth. All throughout history, Jesus has been rejected. Because of this, people have tried desperately and failed consistently to build their lives without a cornerstone or with a, with a weak cornerstone, a false cornerstone. Jesus was rejected in history, but we also know this, he's rejected in our day. The rejection of the cornerstone, it's one area in which we would like to see history stop repeating itself, but it doesn't. Hey, this whole idea of rejecting God and, and rejecting His morals and His principles and His Word, it's not, it's not new. It's happened time and time and time again, over and over and over again. And as we've already pointed out, in a time when they should have accepted him, they are witnessing him physically as miracles. They rejected him and crucified him. Every day, people in our world reject Jesus and turn from any vestige of the revealed truth of God. Lee Strobel, the man who wrote, um, uh, not evidence that demands a verdict, but the case for Christ. He said, many people consider it arrogant, narrow-minded, and bigoted for Christians to contend that the only path to God must go through Jesus of Nazareth. In a day of religious pluralism and tolerance, this, exclusive, this exclusive, exclusivity claims it is politically incorrect, a verbal slap in the face of other belief systems. But this is the heart of our culture. Listen. As people reject Christ, they must erect gods of their own. So they worship falsehoods. They'll worship secularism, humanism, or whatever the idol of the day might be. They worship falsehoods and join together to celebrate false unity that rejects the cornerstone. In Deuteronomy 32, verse number 31, their rock is not as our rock. Even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Have you noticed how the further and further away a society gets from God, the more it starts looking like Sodom and Gomorrah? I can remember as a kid reading the story, or it's not a story, it's a narrative of Lot and the angels coming into Sodom to visit Lot and to tell Lot to get his people out or get his family out of that entire region. And I can remember reading that and almost finding it hard to believe that people would come to the door to meet these two men, these new men, and to do what they wanted to do with them. And then the Bible says, after they were blinded, that the reaction, rather than say, well, maybe we ought not do this, was to continue in their sin. The Bible says they wearied themselves looking for the door. And we can see the consequences of sin all around us. And yet they still insist on having their sin, committing their sin. Hey, every god of this world is false because it rejects the only true cornerstone. The end result of false worship is bitter and it's destructive. Take a look at two of the major anti-Christian ideologies that people subscribe to today, humanism and liberalism. 
Humanism is appropriately named. It's man's own self as a god. Take a casual glance at the motto of the American Humanist Association. You'll have no question about the identity of their cornerstone. Good without a god. The American Humanist has produced the Humanist Manifesto too, which reads, and I quote, As non-theists, we begin with humans, not God, nature, not deity. Signed by many in the highest levels of academia, it is a bold statement of the independence from God. We start with man, not God. Nature, not deity. Humanists have chosen to be their own cornerstone. Sadly, many people in our world, even if they are not familiar with the title of humanism, are functioning humanists. They believe in themselves and ignore or scorn God. Thus we get terms like, listen to your heart. Over the years, this trajectory in our culture, it's created a hatred toward Christian to- truth and a rejection of God or the Bible as any kind of authority for life at all. But although the world despises Jesus, to those of us who know him, he's precious. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Just as David was considered public enemy number one by the elitists, those who followed David called him king. First Peter 2, verse number 7, Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Humanism and liberalism. It's another worldview that rejects Christ as the cornerstone. Despite its openness to new ideologies and insistence on tolerance, its adherents are willing to accept every worldview except God's. Sadly, liberalism even reaches into churches and church denominations that have not held the scripture as their final authority. As outdated as this might become, it's still our final authority. It has to be. Listen to this illustration. The United Church of Canada recently dealt with an apparently confounding and controversial question. Here's the question. Can an atheist serve as a pastor? What's controversial about that? It's controversial if the Bible is not the ultimate truth, the final truth. And so the question, can an atheist serve as a pastor? The pastor in question was Greta Vosper. And there's another problem. The Bible's not the final authority. She made her atheism public. Belief in God, according to Vosper, belongs to an outdated worldview. The United Church of Canada it conducted a cost-benefit analysis and decided that Vosper's heresy was the lesser of two evils. Notice they, they, they did a cost-benefit analysis. Hey, if we excommunicate her, how much is this going to cost us? That should never, never enter the phrase. We as a church have lost great tithers because of biblical stands that we have taken. Had we done a cost analysis, we might have, um, well, we might have compromised But instead of compromising, we need to comply to this because it's the final authority. Who would have imagined that this sort of story being anywhere outside of the pages of Alice in Wonderland? Yet it's exactly this kind of insanity that arises from people that reject the cornerstone and will accept any worldview but God's. And there's so many other illustrations in churches where things like this have happened and taken place. If Jesus is your cornerstone, you'll unashamedly align your beliefs and life to him. Romans 9:33 
says, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So to some, he's a stumbling stone. To us, he's our cornerstone. Jesus told a story about two men who built homes. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to end with this. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So the question, how do you know what you're building your life on? It will consume you above all else. Is your worldview founded on Christ or on the relativism of this world? If money is your cornerstone, you'll talk about it. You'll read about it. If your career is your cornerstone, you'll stress over it. If race is your cornerstone, you'll make, your, make it your primary identity and passion. If gender is your cornerstone, you'll march for it. Listen, there's nothing wrong with giving time, attention, and diligence to your career, caring about or involving yourself in the various social needs of our day. There's something that matters much more than any of those things, however, and that is, what am I doing for Jesus? Jesus ought to matter most. Jesus ought to be what you are consumed with. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. It's important that Jesus is our cornerstone, that we begin from that foundation. As we go through life, we will have many questions and needs, and there will be many areas of potential confusion, but we can rest with certainty on Christ, the truths he has revealed to us. Thank the Lord that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything else seems to change. The Bible says that we're not to meddle with them that are given to change. Because it's tragic when a foundation changes. That's when you know, no, it's probably time to get a new house altogether. But our foundation hasn't shifted. In all the years, he stands firm. And if we stand on him, then we will be firm. What is your life based upon? Father, I pray. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be more grounded as we continue in this study. Lord, And what a great place to start, the cornerstone. Lord, maybe there's someone here who does not know Christ as personal Savior. And that, Lord God, is where we need to start. I pray, Father, you'd bless this time of invitation, and we thank you in Jesus' name. If you need a prayer list, you didn't get one when you came in, then uh, Joe has them. Just go ahead and raise your hand, and we will get one to you. All right, any prayer requests that need to be added to the list tonight? Any at all? Uh, Art. Okay, pray for Lana. She's not feeling too well. Uh, Jen. You said Jude? Oh, okay. All right. Anyone else? Josie and then Terry? Okay, Josie, unspoken. 
and Terry. Dolores, Terry's mom, for her health. Joe. Okay, so that would be Chris Nordyke's brother. Poor health, and I'm assuming salvation also. Okay, all right, anyone else? Uh, yeah, Shamika. All right, yeah, we'll be praying for Tay. Definitely. Art. Okay, Lorna. Right. Okay. Dale. Yeah, pray for our Sunday service. Pray that we'd see many decisions made. Yeah. This weekend, just pray for the whole weekend. We don't rain, want rain or snow. We have that Easter egg hunt, and uh, that's always been a great, great outreach for us. And the weather certainly could hamper that. So for, just pray for that. Okay, anyone else? Yeah, Linda. Linda, unspoken. Okay, anyone else? Yeah. Okay, the Cookstons as they travel. Yeah. All right. Anyone else? Keep praying for Vivian. Um, let's see. Uh, they got the breathing tube taken out today. And so just pray for her as she, that she will get stronger. And also pray for Chester through all that. All right. Anyone else? Okay. If that's it, then let's go ahead and stand and we will close. Close in a word of prayer. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your reliability. We thank you for your love for us, and Lord God, that you, you have the power to be reliable. And Lord, I pray that you just be with us through the remainder of this week, Lord, and we thank you this weekend coming up, and Lord, the, the Easter egg hunt and all the work that has gone into it, all the flyers that have been passed out, and Lord God, the invitations that, yet ha- that have yet to go out. I pray, dear Lord, that you would just use them pray that we would see this place filled on Sunday, and Lord, that we'd see decisions made, that we'd see souls saved, and Father God, that we'd be, uh, we'd be ready to minister and to be a blessing, and we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you are